You know, um, we had such an excellent uh, Good Friday, and uh, we um, kind of been looking at a little arc of, of, you know, for the triumphal entry where Jesus, the King, entered Jerusalem to Good Friday where the King died. He was crucified. We called it Love Friday. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? where this idea that, that, first of all, he's the king, and second, that the king came and died for me just because he loved me, just because he loved you. Really, you know, he demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, he died for us. Not because we deserved it, not because we were so lovable. He just loves us, and, and he proved it by the cross. He just loves us. He just loves you. I've heard someone say he even likes you. Now, that may be hard to understand. But today we celebrate the risen Lord because He didn't stay in that grave. And the, the resurrection and the, and the crucifixion, they go together. They have to go together. And He didn't stay in that grave and He didn't stay in that tomb. I wonder, and I think about this, the, the followers that He had up to that point in time, His disciples... Uh, when he was killed on that cross and then he was buried in that tomb, I think they were discouraged. I think they were depressed. When you read the accounts and you read about it, even though Jesus had told them on numerous occasions, more than one, that he was going to rise from the dead, that he would be you know, put into the hands of sinful men, that he would be uh, killed, crucified, that he would be put into a grave, and that, but that three days later he would rise again. He told them that. He warned them. He let them know ahead of time, but it, it doesn't matter. How many things does he tell us? How many things do we hear? And we kind of like said, nah. Even when they saw him, I read an account uh, in Luke where they saw him, and they still, they, they, you know, someone came and told them that he was alive, and they, it says the words seemed like nonsense to them, and they wouldn't believe. And, and you can understand in a way, like why, you know, this was, they put all their hope in this man, Jesus. You can understand it. You know, the one who they thought was the king who would come and set them free, who would, you know, free them from Rome and, and everything else. The one that, that they loved, the one that had loved them immensely, he was gone. He was dead. So you can understand it to some degree. Until they saw him alive, finally for themselves, and he said, "You know, look at my hands and my feet. And my feet, look and see. It's me. I'm really alive. Not just an apparition, but and he ate some fish to prove to them that he was physically, literally alive." I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter one. Uh, I want to read some verses there. <clears throat> Revelation chapter one. And a lot of people pronounce this book Revelations. Well, it's not Revelations. It's a revelation. It's one single revelation. Look at verse 1, chapter 1 of Revelation. It says right there, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, the revelation, the unveiling, 
the revealing of Jesus Christ. And jump down to verse 12. Uh, John, the apostle who was on the Isle of Patmos and, and these things happened to him, it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Can you imagine that? Picture that. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on that cross, but he didn't stay in the tomb. He rose. He's the living one who is alive forever and ever. He was dead because he had to die for us, not for himself. Open our hearts, our minds to understand, to get a glimpse of that one, the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. God's Friday, Love Friday, and Victory Sunday, they go together, right? They go, to, they go together. And, and what I want to talk just for a few minutes today, I know it's a special day for the church, really those who, who are believers in, in Jesus Christ. The two enemies, I want to talk about the two enemies, the two main enemies that we have. We all have a lot of enemies, right? I don't know about you, but I got a few enemies. Uh, you know, you, if you could make a little list of all your enemies, what would be on your list of enemies? Your boss. What else? Yourself. I'm own, you know, you're saying I'm my own worst enemy. Uh, your kids, your parents. I mean, the list goes on and on. Your coworkers, your uh, all kinds of different things you could come up with the state, the government, government's my enemy. Well, you know, when you boil all these things down, really the, the two main enemies that we have, the main two are sin and death. Sin and death. Now, some people would say, well, no, the, the only things that are certain, that I'm certain are my enemies, are death and taxes, right? And we kind of just went by April 15th, five days ago. So you, and maybe you can make a case that, you know, sin equals taxes. You know, I mean, you could kind of go that way if you want to. But, you know, we need to pay for the services that we have, and we're not going to go there today. Our two enemies, though, sin and death. Sin and death. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with these enemies? We've got sin. 
And not someone else's sin, though that's bad enough, our own sin. And, and death, you know, what are we going to do about death? Because it's looming on the horizon for every single one of us. It's, it's going to come. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from the sin of this world. You, you know, you just have to look at the paper to see this world is lost. It's, it's dying. It's, it's steeped in sin. Missing the mark of God's holy, righteous, perfect plan. We got these two enemies. What are we going to do? You see, that's that's the hope that we have when we celebrate Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. So let's just look at these two briefly. The first one is is this enemy of sin, and and you. And again, these two belong together, the cross and the resurrection, they belong together. But, but, but speaking about sin is that that's what Jesus came to do at the cross. He came to die on the cross for our sin. How are we going to conquer this sin? How are, what's going to pay the price for this sin? Well, Jesus paid the price for our sins, and sin has a price. And the price of sin is death. So again, these two, two things or concepts are, con- are, are connected. But Paul said in Romans 6.23, verse that many of you know, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. You say, well, listen, I don't really believe in sin. Well, what have you been? Never mind. (laughs) Where have you been? I don't believe in sin. John, the apostle who also wrote this letter, who who wrote uh, the the book of 1 John and the Gospel of John, he said in 1 John 1, he said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He said, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Where It's a deceptive thing that there is no such thing as sin. Well, you know, you have to kind of say there is no such thing so you, so, so you don't have to deal with, well, what am I going to do about sin? What am I going to do about my sin? Jesus paid the price. That's what he died for. We talked about that on Friday, the fact that written over, his, over the cross that Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, it was there he was the king, but, but one of his last statements there on the cross was tetelestai, which means it is finished, which also means paid in full. And that's what they would write across the bills that they would receive. You know, I, I talked about that, and uh, I got home that night. I went and, and checked the mail, and I got this City of Warwick tax collector. That's never a good thing, right? When you get a, an, a you know, handwritten now, City of Warwick tax collector. But uh-oh, what did I do wrong this time? So, you know, I opened it up, and... Uh, just one piece of paper, and uh, guess what it says on there? Paid in full. I got that that night. Paid in full. I thought, oh, great, someone paid my taxes for me. And then I thought, wait a minute. They included the check, the last one I sent, and I thought, and I went and looked back at my check, and I realized I'd paid early by mistake. <laughs> but... It was still a good example, right? Paid in full. There it is, right there. Paid in full. So, 
yeah, someone paid the taxes, it was me, and I just forgot that I had. You know, I, I must be getting up there or something. I don't know what that was all about. I've never done that before. I mean, pay your taxes early? Like, who does that? <laughs> like, really? Jesus died for our sins. He paid the price. It says it over and over and over again. 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I passed on to you what was of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Peter said in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. He died for our sins. What am I going to do with my sin? Jesus did something about it. There's nothing you and I can do about it except pay the ultimate and die and live a separated from God forever in that place that is called hell. That's the price. But Jesus came and he died. He, he took the death that I should die. And he did it for me. The king. The king died. I wanted to correct something. Uh, I had this on Friday as well. And uh, I said that I thought it was the crown of Sharon, uh, the, uh, the uh, rose of Sharon, but it's really, they call it crown of thorns. And the, it's literally called that, but those little red flowers, don't they look like the blood, the red blood of Jesus? And uh, it's very hard to touch this. Well, this has you know, been cut off for a while, so they're starting to soften up, but uh, that they made a crown out of this type of material, out of something like this, whether it was exact, legend says it was this exact type plant. Uh, but they formed it into a crown and they put it on the head of Jesus Christ because they, one, they were mocking him, but there was something about the fact that, that he was a king, the crown, because he was a king. And, and these thorns, these wicked thorns, causing blood to come from his head, the blood that was shed. Christ died for our sins. The king came and died. Is he my king? Is he your king? The thing about this idea about sin is that, is that our sins, he dies for our sins, but what, is, what, is, what happens to them? Well, the Bible talks about it in, in a lot of different places as well. He died for our sins, but what, what that means is that our sins are forgiven, that they're no longer held against us for, forever and ever. They are, they, God puts them in a sea of forgetfulness, and, and no longer will the penalty of sin be held against us. Our sins are forgiven. That's what that means. I want you to turn to an incredible verse in Psalm 130. I want you to just see this. I want you to know where it is. Because this is what happens. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. This is what happens. He says, if you, Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4, he says, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. With you there is forgiveness. That's incredible. Our sins are forgiven. Jesus 
at the Last Supper, he said that, didn't he? He said, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Just before that, he said, take and eat, this is my body. It says in Acts chapter 13, I, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You see, we're, we're not going to get away from it. It's something we can't get away with. Even as believers, we are still, we're still in this body. There was, you know, this kind of movement that uh, taught that, you know, they called the, the, the uh, sinful, sinless, not sinful, sinless perfection. That, you know, if I just get closer and closer and closer to God, and, and I'm just, I'm never, I'm not going to sin anymore. I mean, that's a sin in and of itself, even thinking that, I think, is a sin. Because it's a prideful thing, really, that you could get to this place where you were never going to sin again. Now, you know, I, I, I do believe, you know, as, as believers, we, we, you know, we seek to follow the Lord and we seek to do what's right and live in, in the right way. But, but we're, until we're freed from this body, we're not, not going to reach that sinless perfection. That doesn't mean that we don't try to do what's right. That's what, that's what uh, 1 John, he says, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then in the next beginning, in the next chapter, he says, you know, I, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one who stands in our behalf. See, we, we don't, and Paul said, you know, God forbid, you know, the grace of God, I just sinned so that God's grace would be magnified. No, no, we don't do that. But the, the honest truth is we're honest with each other. And as I read from 1 John already, we deceive ourselves and we say, you know, we've, we've gotten past that. Oh, I've been a believer now for 35 years and I, uh, thank God I just don't sin anymore. <laughs> what? Really? It's like, it's like Jesus, you know, in the parable he talked about, you know, the guy who says, you know, I thank you, I'm not like all the other people. And, and then the other one says, God have mercy on me, beats his chest, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And he said, that's the guy that goes home justified. Not the guy who thinks he's got it all together and doesn't sin. He died for our sins. He, our forgiveness comes from him. Through his blood, Paul said in, in in Ephesians chapter 1, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace through the, through the cross, through the shedding of blood. You say, well, that's, you know, that's, I don't know, I, I, I don't even really want to talk about it. I don't even like the sight of that, but, but, but you see the red there. In and, and Hebrews chapter 9, it says this, that the law, and he says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So that what Jesus did at the cross, that which He did, that, that shedding of His blood, He said, apart from that, it wasn't going to happen. That's why, again, I, I, I go back to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus said, if there's any other way, if there's a you know, another passage, another path that I can take for this to be accomplished. He's speaking to his father, let this cup pass from me, the cup of the cross, the cup of suffering, the cup of shedding his blood, giving his life. And 
It was silent. The father was silent. Why? Because there was no other way. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We're forgiven. How do we deal with sin? My sin. We go to the cross where his blood was shed, that my sins would be forgiven, past, present, and future. He's always there. His love, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He's always there. Our second enemy, the, this idea of death, and, and again, our sin leads to death. And these two, the cross and the resurrection, they go together. But the last enemy, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's death. What do people are, are, are afraid of? Or afraid to die? They say... Uh, Public speaking, um, some people are more afraid of that than death, which I guess that's true. Um, <clears throat> what was I going to say now? <laughs> uh, death, we're, we're afraid. What's going to happen when I, when I die? What is, what, what's going to happen to me? Is it is just like all over, it's done? Annihilation, finished, finny? The Bible says that, you know, that's not what happens. There's life after death. We don't just, aren't are, are just wiped out at, at death. Romans chapter 6, we know that since Christ died, excuse me, since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again, and death no longer has mastery over him. When you... When you think about Jesus dying and he was put into that tomb and you think about this, this man Jesus, it, he, he conquered death through the resurrection. If he had just stayed in that tomb, what kind of hope would we have? Our great teacher, he's still buried over there in Jerusalem somewhere. What, what kind of hope would that be? Sad thing is, you know, there's a lots of different groups and and religions that, you know, they're, they, they, they put hope into a, a dead Savior. How can a dead Savior save you? He can't. But it says in Acts chapter 2, it says, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Oh, I love that. Number one, he talks about what death is like. He says it's agony, agony of death. Why do you think we're afraid of it? Because it's something to be afraid of, the agony of death. But, but for Jesus Christ, it says death, it, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It couldn't keep the king. Why? Because he was the king, because he was the king of life. Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, he said this, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? This is so true that even Satan cannot deny it. Christ's resurrection and victory over sin, death, and hell is greater than all heaven and earth. You can never imagine his resurrection and victory so great, but that in actuality, it is far, far greater. We just have a little inkling of how great 
the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is, what it means, what he's done. The king died, but he's now alive. The king conquered sin. He conquered death. Why? For us. We could not do it. He paid a debt he didn't know. I owed a debt that I could not pay, and he paid that debt for me. Our sin washed away, forgiven, death defeated through the cross, through the resurrection. He offers us life. He offers us eternal life. He beats the agony of death. And and the question is for every man, woman, and child is, do we believe? Do we have it? Are we really ready for death? Are we ready for heaven? Are we ready? Do we know what is going to happen with our sin? One more passage I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, if you would please. Romans chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 8. What does it say? It says the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. What do we do? He says it's right there. He's made it available to us. It's right there. And yet so many reject, so many turn away, so many say, no, I don't need it. I don't want it. I'm okay. The truth is we are not okay without Jesus Christ in our lives and heart. We are not going to survive the agony of death. He says right here that, you, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's all about trusting in Jesus Christ, that he died for me, that he died for my sins, that he rose from the dead, defeating death and that I trust in Him, that I believe in Him, and that I have put my hope in Him to deal with my enemy of sin, to deal with my enemy of death, and and He is my only hope. He is the only hope that I have. say, well, it's so simple. It's It's like simplistic. No, it is simple because He knows that we are just human beings, and we, and He's got to keep it simple. You know how that saying goes. I won't call you names. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Is there any urgency about this? You know what? I think there's a lot of urgency about this. I think there's urgency about it for ourselves, number one, but also for the people around us. There's an urgency. We do not know how much time we have. Stuff is going on in the world around us. Stuff is going on in our own lives. 
But let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 9. It says, Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to, to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We are all going to face judgment. We are all going to die and face judgment. And, and, but Jesus, if, if we've trusted and believed in him, he's, he's taken it for us. It's paid in full. The judgment, he says, I took it for you. You don't have to take it. I took it for you. And then we look for him. We just expectantly look and wait for his return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to close with a, a story that I read, an account I read. It says in the late 1800s, a man named Charles Berry, an English preacher, he became the pastor of the great Plymouth Church in Brooklyn. And one day, Barry described how earlier he had come to Jesus Christ, earlier in his life, before he came to Brooklyn. He says, it says, there had been a time in Barry's early ministry when he preached a very thin gospel, really no gospel at all. As did the Corinthians, he looked upon Jesus as merely a noble teacher, but not as a divine redeemer. Heard that before? Late one night, this is a pastor now, he's a preacher. Late one night during his first pastorate, as he sat in his cozy study, there came a knock and he opened the door, found a, a typical Lancashire girl. He's, he's in England now before he moved to Brooklyn. With a shawl over her head, clogs on her feet. Are you a minister, she asked. Getting an affirmative answer, she went on breathlessly. You must come with me quickly. I want you to get my mother in. And thinking it was a case of some drunken mother out on the streets, Barry said, you must go get a policeman. No, said the girl, my mother is dying, and you must come and get her into heaven. Barry got dressed, and he followed her for a mile and a half through the lonely streets in the night, and he knelt at the woman's side, and he began telling her how good and kind Jesus was and how he'd come to show us how to live. And then the desperate woman cut him off. Missed her, she cried. That's no use for the likes of me. I'm a sinner. I've lived my life. Can you tell me of someone who can have mercy upon me and save my poor soul? He said, I stood there in the presence of a dying woman. I realized I had nothing to tell her. In the midst of sin and death, I had no message. In order to bring something to that dying woman, I leaped back to my mother's knee to my cradle faith. And I told her the story of the cross and of a Christ who is able to save to the uttermost. And the tears began to run down the woman's cheeks. Now you're getting hit, she said. Now you're helping me. And the man concluded this story by saying, I got her in, and blessed be God, I got in myself. Is that cool? None of that thin gospel stuff. We are in urgent need of a Savior, and His name is Jesus. The people around you, our friends, our family, are in urgent need of a Savior, and we're all going to face that day, one day, where we'll have to decide, where we'll have to 
it's too late to decide then, but we'll have to uh, give an account of what we did with His Son, Jesus, to the Father. Through His death, He paid the price for sin, for our forgiveness. Through His resurrection, He defeated, He conquered death that we might live forever. Are you ready for heaven? That's the question. How about your friends, your family, those around you? Are they ready? How much time do we have? I don't know. I don't know. There's urgency, I think. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that you loved the world. You loved people so much that you gave your one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting eternal life. We are sinners, Lord. We confess it. We thank you that that Jesus, that you died, that amazing grace, you took my place. And you conquered sin and you, and you rose from the dead conquering death. The simple truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope that we have of heaven through him, through his death and resurrection. Lord, we, we pray first for ourselves that we would truly be ready for that day that's coming, the day of our death or of your return, if that is first, that we would be ready through trusting, through, through, through believing in our hearts of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, his death and resurrection, confessing to others that, we, that Jesus is Lord, that I've given him my life, I've made him my Lord. And maybe that's you here today, and you need to get it right today. Don't, don't leave today. We don't know. You don't know what today holds, what tomorrow holds. Simply open your heart, trust Him, believe in Him, and receive what He has given, what He came to give. It's free. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But Father, we also pray for those around us, Lord. I pray, we pray for the people in our families and our people in our jobs and the people, our neighbors. We pray for the people in our state, Lord. There's so many people lost, just completely and totally lost. Father, we, we pray that you'd give us boldness. We're scared. We're all scared to, to bring it up even. But we pray for opportunities and we pray for boldness. God, I, I just know that, that you provide those opportunities and I pray then you would give us the boldness to say the right words at that time. That this, this thing that we call Good Friday and Easter, we can share with people. Love Friday, the love of God and the victory of that empty tomb. We can share with people, let people know there's hope. There's hope and it's found in one and only place, and it's in Jesus. So give us that strength, Lord. Thank you again today, what you've done for us, God, and, and uh, just bless each one of us as we go our ways today, Lord, that we might uh, just have that joy, that our sins are forgiven, that we have heaven. We look forward to heaven. We look forward to seeing your face clearly, face to face with you.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing, shall we?